0: So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 923 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the fourth day of the fourth month of 2023. This is episode 697 of Bitcoin and Paxful. We got to say goodbye to Paxful, apparently. Yeah. Ray Youssef's uh, outfit, Paxful, apparently is suspending operations. Uh, we got a uh, no bullshit Bitcoin dot, or no BS which is no bullshit Bitcoin uh, piece here. Uh, P2P marketplace, Paxful suspends operations. The peer-to-peer marketplace was closed without prior notice and is not sure if it will come back. And here is some of the uh, uh, news from that. Uh, Ray Youssef, uh, Paxful CEO, went live on Twitter Spaces to elaborate on the situation. Quote, while I cannot share the full story now, I can say that we unfortunately have had some key staff departures. Also, regulatory challenges for the industry continued to grow, especially in the peer-to-peer market and most heavily in the United States. O.G. Oh, really, you think? <laughs> Quote, while we work through these issues, we have taken the most secure option and ask you to explore self-custody and trade elsewhere. Quote, all customer funds are accounted for, please withdraw them if you can, self- and if you can, self-custody. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Here's the direct message from Ray Youssef. Now, Ray Youssef is one of, uh, uh, he's a guy I've been following for a long time. A long time. I mean years. Probably a good handful and and then some of years. So five, six, maybe seven. You You know, I've been in the game for a while and Ray Youssef has too. And he's been one of my favorite guys. And he's one of the guys that he's actually one of the reasons why I look at the continent of Africa as hard as I do as uh, something that I care about more than the West for Bitcoin adoption. And it's, it's people like Ray Youssef, great guy. Um, Now, is it possible that something's going on? Yeah, dude, it's always possible that something weird that we don't want to hear about is indeed going on but we don't know you know we only have you know it's pure conjecture at this point and we really shouldn't get ahead of ourselves certainly we need to let all this crap shake out see exactly what's going on but here's his message he says today Paxful will be suspending its marketplace we are not sure if it will come back this will probably come as a big shock to many While I cannot share the full story now, I can say that, unfortunately, we've had some key staff departures. Also, regulatory challenges for the industry continue to grow, especially in the peer-to-peer market and most heavily in the United States. While we work through these issues, we have taken the most secure option and ask you to explore self-custody and trade elsewhere. (coughs) Solutions, he says, the Paxful wallet will be up for customers to retrieve their funds. Uh, Right now, safeguarding customer funds is my biggest priority. Here is what I am doing. All customer funds are accounted for. Please withdraw them, and if you can, self-custody. We recommend options such as Exodus Wallet and Moon Wallet. That's Moon with two U's. And we're offering an easy migration to other options for non-United States users to platforms like Noon's or it's possibly pronounced Nunes, N-O-O-N-E-S. This becomes important later on, so just bear with me. It's a new P2P company dedicated to the global south. All the things you do on Paxful, you can do on Nunes, including lower trading fees, offer the cheapest wallets, an affiliate program even more generous than Paxful's program, a more efficient KYC process, local dispute moderators, a much friendlier TOS policy with no accounts being locked. I personally vouch for Newness; you can trust them. And then there's Bitnob, who makes it easy for Africans to connect with Bitcoin. Signed Ray Youssef, Paxful founder and CEO. According to some Reddit users, there might have been a Zoom meeting yesterday where it was announced Paxful was shutting down in eight hours. Some users still appear to be stuck in unresolved disputes. According to at Pleditor, there might be a very messy legal battle going on. All right, okay, so now we've got the announcement from Ray and No Bullshit Bitcoin. We've got this note uh, off of Noster from Brad Mills, who says, the coverage on Paxful closing is not the correct story. It's being framed improperly. This is more of an evolution, and it's going to be better for Bitcoin and Noster in the global south. Okay. <coughs> global south comes up again. So what's, you know, what what's going on here? And let's see, do I have it? Yeah, we need to do, let's see, let's, let's do this one. And yeah, here we go. All right, so... Let's get into this Bitcoin Magazine article from BTC Casey about Paxful and what's going on here. Headline is Peer-to-peer Bitcoin Exchange Paxful Suspends Marketplace. Paxful, one of the world's largest peer-to-peer cryptocurrency exchanges by volume, has announced the suspension of its marketplace. The announcement was made by the company's founder and CEO, Ray Youssef, who cited key staff departures and regulatory challenges for the industry as the reasons behind the decision. In a statement, Youssef said, While we work through these issues, we have taken the most secure option and ask you to explore self-custody and trade elsewhere. According to Youssef, all customer funds are accounted for and the Paxful wallet will be up for customers to retrieve their funds. To facilitate the process, Paxful is recommending options such as Exodus and Moon Wallet for customers to self-custody their funds. The company is now offering an easy migration to other options for non-U.S. users, including Nunez a new P2P company dedicated to the Global South and Bitnob, which makes it easy for Africans to connect with Bitcoin. Yusuf personally vouches for Nunez, which offers lower trading fees and a cheaper wallet, a more generous affiliate program than Paxful's program, a more efficient KYC process, local dispute moderators, and a friendlier TOS policy with no accounts being locked, The news of Paxful suspension comes amid growing regulatory scrutiny, particularly in the U S blah, 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 blah. Okay. Now, hold up. Dag nabbit. I saw it earlier and I don't know why I didn't retain it, but there's a, there was a screenshot of one of the people from Paxful on behalf of Paxful suing Paxful. (laughs) All right. So it was like Pat from Paxful holdings was suing a couple of people from Paxful, including Paxful Incorporated. So there's a holding company, and then there's Paxful Incorporated. So somebody from the uh, holding company was suing on behalf of Paxful Holdings, uh, and suing Paxful Incorporated. It seems very messy, and this very well may be what that key staff departure thing was talking about. That's what w- Ray was saying. Hey, we've we've suffered several you know key staff departures. So here's what it looks like. <clears throat> all of a sudden, out of the blue, one of the most successful and long-standing P2P Bitcoin exchanges that services Africa and quite a bit of the global South, not just Africa, but quite a bit of the global South, decides to fold up shop. One of their own guys is suing them. Me thinks something, something interesting may be going on. Let's see what this whole thing about Nunez is about. From Bitcoin Magazine, also written by <coughs> BTC Casey, Bitcoin entrepreneurs in- introduce Nunez, a super app aimed at empowering financial freedom in the global south. A team of Bitcoin entrepreneurs have announced the launch of Nunez, a new financial communications application aimed at empowering financial freedom in the global south. The app will combine a messenger for peer-to-peer trades with a Bitcoin wallet operating at cost and a peer-to-peer marketplace. The app is now now available in private beta and is set to have instant swaps and lightning support in the coming weeks. The founding team of Nunez is made up of Nicholas Gregory, CEO of Commerce Blocks Yousef Nasseri, co-founder of the Built With Bitcoin Foundation, and Bernard parra CEO and founder of Bitknob, that was also mentioned, that Ray Youssef directly mentioned Bitknob in that, in that press release, who believe that peer-to-peer is the world's only true free market. The app will be centered around the messenger where the majority of peer-to-peer trades take place industry-wide, according to the press release. The peer-to-peer marketplace will allow users to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin, Tether, and USD coin. The app, is per, the app is pro-human, pro-trade, and pro-Bitcoin with a mission to unleash the true power of the global South and end economic apartheid using Bitcoin, the press release states. Quote, Our goal is to solve financial discrimination. Yusuf Nasser I think it's Nasseri, N-E-S-S-A-R-Y, Yusuf Nasseri, a founding team member and head of research and business developer, uh, development, said billions of people in the global south face international monetary controls that exclude them from the global stage. Bitcoin offers an inclusive solution that can strengthen economies and give people a fighting chance. Nunez's messenger will have an insured trade option with an escrow and a local moderator to settle disputes, providing an added security benefit Compared to pure communications platforms, uh, the the app aims to monetize chat in a value-added way. <laughs> like sounds like zaps to me. The app is inspired by the bitcoin by the bitcoin adoption already being done in the global south, and the founding team hopes that Nunez will help unite the region with communications, payments, and a store of value. Quote. It's game over on monetary control, says Naseri. It's time to push forward a new financial standard, one where people can easily access the world's financial system and money flows freely around the world through peer-to-peer trade. Nunez's announcement comes at a time when Bitcoin is gaining traction worldwide as an alternative to traditional financial systems. Nunez's is not, not, I repeat, not available for users in the United States or any other country on their blocked countries list due to regulatory restrictions. All right, that's the end of the article. <clears throat> what do you think is happening? Hmm? What do you think is happening here? Because I don't remember, uh, you know, I don't remember the SEC handing down any kind of uh, injunction against Paxful. I, I don't, I don't remember the CFTC, you know, getting into it. I don't remember DOJ or the Southern District of New York. Uh, handing down anything to Ray Youssef and the team over at Paxful, this almost sounds like it's a voluntary closure of Paxful with a message of where to go. What does that sound like to you? It sounds to me like this. Ray Youssef and the team at Paxful have put together a plan to get out from under the thumb of United States Financial regulatory control before anything bad happens, before they're mired in a mass of stupid crap that they've got to wade through, pay lawyers, like outlay of lots and lots of money because of it. And before any of that happens, they're like, you know what? Let's build another company. We'll call it Nunes and we'll partner with another company called Bitnob. We're not going to worry about the West. At all, because I guarantee you, China, Russia is the, uh, probably the only non-NATO quote-unquote, slash, you know, Western countries that are involved in their blocked marketplace list. They've blacklisted a bunch of marketplaces. So China and Russia is probably, and there. probably India as well. And I guarantee you every European country, plus Canada, plus Mexico, plus the United States. You're not If you're using Nunez and Bitknob, you're probably not going to be able to use it if you're a resident in any one of those countries. I guarantee you, they probably won't give a shit if you VPN in, because they won't know. But uh, what I'm saying is, this sounds like a maneuver to me. This doesn't sound like there's something going on at Paxful that's a rug pull. It doesn't sound like there's something nefarious going on. I think this is an announcement to the world that they're like, you know what, We're completely done. And I think what you're going to see is a whole bunch of Bitcoin companies that have anything to do with a fiat on and off and or off ramp to Bitcoin or from Bitcoin to, you know, going to fiat. You're going to see them all collapse (coughs) and reconstitute themselves under other names and only service full on Latin America, probably minus Mexico, all of the continent of Africa, probably the Balkans, the Baltics, and you know, all the other countries that that I give a shit about because the West is lost. It's just done. They, the beans are baked, the pot's coming out of the oven, it's time to serve dinner. It's done. There's there's no coming back from this. Japan basically told us yesterday, the United States yesterday, uh, you know what we're going to do? We're we're going to buy oil from Russia and we're going to pay, I think, I don't know what they're paying in. They're probably paying in in Chinese won. They're going to pay more than $60 a barrel. That $60 a barrel is the price cap that was placed on Russia because of the whole Ukraine conflict thing. If, if you stood with Ukraine, you got fucked in the ass. I hate to say it. I don't want the people in Ukraine getting bombed. I don't like the whole thing. But it was clear at this point that Putin made a play and he won. And I'm telling you, I know, I, 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 I'm not a big fan of Putin. But I got to I got to give credit where credit is due. He saw what was going on with the stupidity in the West. And he used Ukraine as a pawn. And I think he bet that the rest of the West would come in like gangbusters on Ukraine, get themselves mired in this shit to where they couldn't see any other maneuvers going on on the global stage, and then he makes a deal with Saudi Arabia, China, Iran, and all of a sudden, Japan's like, you know what, we're going to buy your oil for over $60. Japan is one of our biggest trading partners. One of our best friends post-World War II, even though we bombed the living shit out of them with conventional and atomics. And yet we still ended up being very close friends with Japan. Japan said, no, we're just done. We're just done. When Japan does that, when, when France buys liquefied natural gas from, you know, direct from Saudi Arabia and pays in Juan, you know the dollar is done. It just is, and there's no coming back from it. Putin made a play. He suckered the West into a stupid conflict that, I mean, it's stupid, not so far in that people are dying. That sucks. That's real. That's not stupid. But he used it as a pawn. We took the bait and he blew us out. There's just, I, like I said, man, I mean, I'm not saying that this is good or bad or that I like it or I don't like it. I mean, I, I, it's just facts. And if you can't accept the facts, then you won't know how to maneuver yourself going forward into the future. And the future does not include the United States dollar. But be that as it may, let's get back to this whole Paxful thing. Everybody knows that the West is fucking done. Australia, New Zealand, the West, they're all done. We're all done. Canada, United States, Mexico, it's over. It's over. What's left? A lot. Latin America is huge. The 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 continent of Africa. We're not talking a small you know a small set of countries here. There's 70 flags that fly in Africa minimum, as far as like it, it, individual govern, uh, governments and citizenries. This is a huge deal. I think Ray is making a maneuver himself. I think his team at Paxful is making a maneuver. I could be very wrong about this and that it turns out that Ray's a scumbag and he's rug pulled everybody and then he's getting sued and he ends up getting arrested and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I could be wrong. But somehow or another, this announcement has these, these seeds inside of it that make me believe that this is a maneuver that is on purpose, that he's ditching Paxful, And letting it be, I don't know, maybe it'll even be bait for the uh, SEC and the Southern District of New York. Who knows? But he's not going to be attached to it any longer. And I think they're all going to move to Nunez and Bitnob. And these things are going to rage supreme. If I were you, I would heavily watch Bitnob and Nunez. That's N-O-O-N-E-S. Bitnob... And Nunez, N O O, N E S. I got two boostograms from yesterday's show. And by the way, just so you know, I'm back down sucking swamp water in the fountain charts. I think I'm number 19 today, <laughs> <coughs> and, and that's why, you know, when when I ask for y'all to spread the word about the show, it's be, it, one of the reasons is of course I want the show to reach, but it's more about resilience. I don't want to have to come back every, you know, every day and say, Hey, look, I need the same people's help to do the same thing that I asked y'all to do last week. And that's get me back into the top 10 charts, right? I want that to be spread across a great many people so that I, so that the same people that helped me do that aren't always having to do that. That's why I want, you know, like I ask that you spread the show to your family, your friends. It's like, just tell them, it's like, look, if you want to know what's going on with Bitcoin, then just listen to this dude over at Bitcoin and and he'll let you know what's going on pretty much every single day, most of the time, you know, unless something really you know something weird happens or I got a vacation or something that I got to go to. Um, that spreads out the ability for me to get um, <clears throat> sorry, streaming SATs, boostergrams, and whatnot. So today I've only got two, and it's from God's Death. With a boob, a boob boost, 8008 says, just wanted to hear you say boob again. Sure, no problem. Boob, 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 boob. (laughs) Nick underscore dose. 2,345 Satoshi says, cheers. And that's it for the boostograms. So I didn't get very many. I love y'all's boostograms. I really do. I'd like to see more different names in that list going forward. If you guys can help me do that, five-star ratings on Apple iPod or iTunes uh, really actually helps for that. So if you don't have the Satoshis to spend, if you spend your time to help me get the show out to the masses, that's that's a huge deal. And then they'll be able to hear things like this. Regenerative agriculture and how it relates to Bitcoin. Evie the farmer, this is from uh Citadel 21. A couple of years ago, I was faced with a choice: Buy the farm that has been in my family for four generations, or let it be sold outside of my family, which meant it would likely never be available for purchase again in my lifetime. Although I was still a student at the time and not expecting to have to make the choice so soon, my institution sorry, my intuition, told me that this was something that I needed to do. Later that summer, I went to one of the local money printing offices, banks, and asked for some freshly minted fiat to help me realize my new dream. Under my arm, I carried an Excel sheet detailing the finances of my planned enterprises. It did the trick, and I was awarded a ticket on the ship of Cantillion. In other words, I got a loan, and I bought the farm. Prior to this, I had lived three years in the city of Oslo, including two lockdowns. It made the choice a lot easier. I was not meant to live in the city. In fact, it made me pretty sure none of us are. This unexpectedly fast pivot back to my roots led me on a search to figure out how I could carry the torch onwards. Thus, I ventured into another rabbit hole, that of regenerative agriculture. What is regenerative agriculture, you ask? In short, regenerative agriculture is about fixing the faults of the past and getting back to farming on the premises of nature. It closes the gap that we built between ourselves and the sustainable level of prosperity our earth can provide, much like Bitcoin is doing in the monetary realm. Since World War II, most of the world's farmland has been severely degraded through unnatural and unsustainable farming practices. A core aim of regenerative agriculture is, therefore, to actively regenerate the soil while producing food in the same process. The end goal is to maximize the vitality of the ecosystem through natural processes while still being able to fulfill human needs efficiently. By doing this, we can heal the soil, our communities, and our bodies and minds all at the same time. One core similarity between regenerative agriculture and Bitcoin is that both are grassroots grassroots movements. Both have risen through the ashes of inevitably failed centralization in their domains. Both utilize social media, podcasting, public events, and super-secret underground group chats to spread the message to the ones willing to listen. The central banking cartel and the industrial-agricultural complex have long thought that they can micromanage the economy and ecology without unintended consequences, or that these unintended consequences can easily be fixed by adding just one more layer. That the complexity of these systems must be tamed and controlled. That without their expertise, the uneducated masses would descend into the abyss. On the other side, regenerative agriculture and Bitcoin embraces this complexity by letting nature express itself unconstrained. To let each individual, like a bison, tree, or cricket, act in its own best self-interest to the greatest benefit of all. With the raging inflation, bank collapses, and regional social unrest we are seeing around the world today, it is obvious to many that the centralized micromanaging of the money is not working very well. What is less evident to most is that we are seeing similar symptoms of collapse in the agricultural realm. Most of the food we are consuming globally today is produced in a way that degrades and erodes the soil in its produced form. It is estimated that 24 billion tons of fertile soil is lost to erosion every year. The soil that is left continues to decrease in carbon levels, water holding capacity, and microbial life. In short, this means we cannot expect to contribute producing food with today's methods indefinitely. It was not always like this. In fact, the practices of today are fairly new in a historical context and, like with the origin of our rotten monetary system, we can find the answer in the history books. Gunpowder In the 1800s, while the Industrial Revolution transformed the world in various ways, a battle to become the ruler of the ever smaller world was being fought out between the most advanced nations. As coal, steel, and steam engines and better weaponry intensified the battle for each passing decade, one limiting factor in particular became evident, (laughs) gunpowder, or more specifically, the main ingredient in gunpowder, potassium nitrate. As the demand for potassium nitrate increased, more efficient ways of sourcing it was needed. In 1804 Alexander Van Humboldt brought good news to the shores of Europe, guano caves and even islands full of the manure from birds and bats rich in nitrogen, phosphate, and potassium. As the concentration of the needed elements was way higher in guano than in regular animal manure, the production of gunpowder increased dramatically. Thus, the valuable resource increased the military's capacity for violence until around 1890 when the guano was mostly gone. But the countries like heroin addicts could not stop shooting each other. They needed more gun power and found ways of getting it. In 1913, the same year as the Federal Reserve was founded, the Haber-Bosch method was first put to industrial scale production in Germany. The method converts atmospheric nitrogen to ammonium, which is then converted to nitrate this gave germany a head start at mass producing the modern war machine's biggest bottleneck and was a major contributing factor to the 30s 30 dark years of world history that followed but what does gunpowder and war have to do with farming well as world war ii came to an end in 1945 most people were relieved except for the ammonium nitrate producers they needed new customers in his recent appearance on the joe rogan experience will harris of white oak pastures one of the largest regenerative farms in the world tells the story of how it unfolded on their farm in 1946 a salesman came to their town bluffton in georgia with 400 pounds of ammonium nitrate fertilizer the same thing that was previously used in munition production then he gave the local farmers a small amount each and told them to spread it on a small patch of land, water it, and come back in three days. The grass was already an an order of magnitude taller and greener than the surrounding area, and the rest was history. Since then, the use of ammonium nitrate and other synthetic fertilizer compounds have skyrocketed on a global scale, and as a result, food has increasingly become mass-produced commodities that are cheap and abundant. While this has allowed us to feed a growing global population, it has not come without negative side effects. There is little doubt that much of the food we consume today has a detrimental effect on our health, although this alone is an important reason why we should question today's farming practices. The degrading impact it had uh, has had on the soil is arguably worse, or rather the dirt it is produced in. Because as we started using chemical fertilizers to increase yields, we went from producing food from soil to producing food in dirt. And in the same process lost most of the actual soil. There are many factors contributing to the loss of topsoil including repeated tilling of the soil and applying chemical fertilizers, herbicides, pesticides, and fungicides. Although tilling is not a modern invention, the negative impact it has on soil cannot be understated. Every time the top 20 centimeters of the field is turned around and bare soil comes into contact with air, carbon from the ground oxidizes and flies off as CO2. Thus, we lose plant food, soil structure, and water holding capacity, all essential factors for living soil. The fact that nature always covers up bare soil as quickly as it can should give us a clue that turning it around and leaving it bare for months is probably not a good idea. When we add chemical fertilizers to the mix, the negative effects of today's practices become even more obvious. As chemical fertilizers are water-soluble, it makes it easy for the plants to absorb the nutrients in it. Although this may sound great, it has some serious negative side effects. The short explanation is that it disables the plant's ability to express their natural behavior of eating the combination of nutrients and micronutrients that they need. This weakens the plant's natural immune system, making them vulnerable for what? Insects and disease. Luckily, the chemical fertilizer companies have a solution and a sales budget for these problems. All these solutions end with sides, which comes from Latin and means killer. When we use these sides to kill the organisms that the plant's immune systems would naturally protect it from. To conclude... Today's farming practices are characterized by releasing the carbon into the air, impairing the soil's water holding capacity, adding a synthetic mix of fertilizers and killing the organisms that stand between us and maximize production. In this process, we decrease soil life, destabilize ecosystems, and end up with enormous amounts of cheap, but nutrient diminished food. <coughs> so what is the solution for all these problems? In my opinion, there are a few things that need to happen for the situation to improve. First of all, I don't know a single farming college or colleague that does not want the best for his land, animals, family, and community. Yet, many are working ever longer hours despite their family's wishes to spend more time together. Running ever larger operations where the only thing falling quicker than the ecological diversity is the profit of the operation. The way I see it, there are two main reasons for this situation. One, time theft through inflation two lack of ownership to the land operation and end product. The solution to number one is the most obvious. It is not only in the agricultural industry that our time seems to have become scarcer over the years. Time theft, whether it's 2%, 10% or 50% annually needs to end. And the only solution to this is Bitcoin. The solution to number two is more complicated. The endless list of rules, regulations, reporting, and inspections that exist in agriculture today is probably only surpassed by that of starting a bank. These attempts at micromanaging for optimization and steer farmers towards desired productions has slowly changed what it means to be a farmer. Rather than figuring out how we can create the most value with our resources, we spend time making sure we stay compliant with regulations and maximize our subsidies. Since the incentives have pointed towards increasing the yields for decades, few of us ever meet the people that consume our food. And many of our consumers have no idea how the food is even produced. There are just numbers coming in and and numbers going out. Farming has just become a transaction. So how do we take back our food system? I think we need to do exactly what Bitcoin has done to money. Go back to the basics to farm on the principles of na- that nature has set out for us, like Bitcoin functions on mathematics and code, to stop trusting a central authority to know better than ourselves how to utilize the resources we have at hand. A farmer should trust a chemical fertilizer company as much as a Bitcoiner trusts a bank. We need to build a bridge between end consumers willing to pay the price for hard food and farmers willing to be accountable for the products that they offer shake your rancher's hand. And of course, we should settle the trade and hard money as well to starve the beast that put us in the situation to begin with. Then we can take back our food and the money at the same time. And I don't think we can truly take back one without the other. Fix the food, fix the money, fix the world. I, I, yeah, I love this piece because it really does lay out quite a bit of regenerative agriculture. The one thing that wasn't mentioned, because he was saying, well, what is you know regenerative agriculture? He says, in short, it's about fixing the faults of the past and getting back to farming, closing the gap that we built between ourselves and sustainable levels of prosperity the earth can provide. All right, look, it's not regenerative farming. I'm going to add this. It's not that, it's, it's not that he's wrong. It's just that I, I, I think it's necessary to add the following. Regenerative farming allows you to produce a crop of nutrient-dense food for human consumption as well as your animal's consumption. And if you did it in a regenerative way the next year, even more food by pounds and nutrient density will be produced. And the year after that, even more. You'll hit at one point or another, some kind of steady state, but I don't, I, none of us really knows where that is yet. There are regenerative farmers that have been going for 20 or 30 years. Gabe Brown, if you don't know who Gabe Brown is, G-A-B-E Brown from Brown Farms in North Dakota. All right, he's way up there. He's way, 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 way up there. I mean, we're talking in the place that, be, that is one of the coldest places on Earth because they get that dip of the Arctic uh, jet stream as it comes across in winter, and it becomes brutal cold. Now, this is a man who's been doing this shit for like 25 years. He still has yet, he stated this, he has yet to see the end of capacity production on the same piece of land. He's not there yet. He's not at a point where he stops putting carbon into the ground. He's not at a point where he uh, has stopped putting more animals because he needs more mowers. Because the grass is growing out of control. And you have to keep the grass mowed because if you don't, it'll shade out the new grass. And then you'll end up going right back in the other direction and that's not good. So you've got to manage the pastures. And you do that with what? ruminants. And guess what we get out of ruminants besides milk and hide? Meat. Good animal protein and good animal fat. You need those critters on the land. And every single year he's been having to put more critters on the land. You start out with like, I think the, like the, the, the number that I hear all the time is how many cows per acre? Okay. Full grown cow, two cows per acre for the year you're going to have to buy in feed. That means hay. And if you don't manage that same acre that those two cows are on, and remember an acre is about a football field and you got two cows on it. There are people that I've heard that have 10 cows per acre on a year, except that the way they do it is they actually have to move, move these off. So they have many, many, many acres. But when you work it all out, When you do all the math and they've got 5,000 head on a section of land and they're doing rotational grazing, it turns out that they can support anywhere between two and 10 cattle per acre for the entire year. But you have to manage it in a way that you're not keeping just 10 cows on one acre of land. You've got to use many critters and you've got to walk them around, which means what? You actually got to get out there in nature and, and be with the critters. I'm not sure how that's a death sentence. I would love to do that. But there are so many people that don't even know. They think that food comes from a grocery store. They really do. I've seen it happen. I've seen man on the street shit. They're asking like teenage girls. It's like, well, where does food come from? And they're like, you dummy. It comes from the supermarket. And they just don't have any capacity to think that that food was actually brought in from, you know, a farmer somewhere. It's, it amazes me. I could go on, but I won't. But as you guys know, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time whatsoever, I love permaculture, regenerative agriculture. If it has something to do with soil, I'm, a, I am like, I'm like a Star Trek nerd, only instead of Star Trek, soil. Just put soil in place of Star Trek or Star Wars or computer, and that's me. I, I'm a complete nerd about it. Now... Moon Mortgage. Let's talk about mortgages and, and homes. Maybe this will one day apply for uh, you know, apply to us getting our own plot of land that we can perform regenerative agriculture on. Moon Mortgage launches a Bitcoin mortgage product, allowing investors to use their BTC as collateral uh, Bitcoin magazine BTC Casey. Lending platform. <coughs> Moon Mortgage, that's moon with two O's, has launched its core mortgage product that allows investors to use their Bitcoin as additional collateral to secure funding for real estate purchases. The mortgage product has been designed to work similarly to traditional mortgages with digital assets like Bitcoin serving as collateral and is available to house buyers in Florida, Texas, and Colorado with plans to expand to investors in most states across the United States for investment properties. The minimum loan amount for the mortgage product is sadly $1 million. But according to Tristan Marino, co-founder and COO of Moon Mortgage, quote, the use case for crypto is, has to go beyond investment potential. It has to be about how an investor can use it for real world gains, allowing investors to truly materialize their digital wealth Into real estate investments as simply as possible and with compliance and safety. Marino added that Moon Mortgages or Moon Mortgage is working to bridge the gap between traditional finance and Bitcoin, with its mortgage product being part of its efforts to transform the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space into a true financial system. It in addition to this mortgage product, Moon Mortgage has also launched trade and borrow which allows investors to borrow against Bitcoin. Oh, God. Moon Mortgage's two new products allow a, oh, sorry, two new products follow a $3.5 million seed raise on back in October of 2022. And the platform is actively looking to engage more brokers to partner with as it seeks to build in scale and supply investor demand. All right, so not ready for prime time yet. Prime time being retail. That's me and you wanting to buy a house and use Bitcoin as collateral instead of the onerous bullshit that we have to go through, uh, especially nowadays. I mean, it's even from what I understand, it's different getting a home mortgage today than it was when I did it in 2018. That it's actually better if you can to just buy that buy a piece of property outright with cash instead of going through all this. In fact. Here's here's what we're going through now. And if anybody out there knows anything about what I'm about to say, please get in touch with me through DMs on Noster. If you need to find me on Noster, uh, go to the show notes and look for my NPUB or my hex key. It's in every single one of my show notes nowadays as I've uh, been on Noster. All right, so here's the situation. We've got several companies that hold, you know, money and property in a portfolio. We've got a pretty good looking portfolio. It's pretty fucking solid. I'll give it that. Excuse me, I'm still having some allergy problems. I didn't mean to snort at you. It's it's a solid, it's solid, okay? It doesn't mean that I can go buy a 40 story office building. That's not that kind of solid. I'm just saying that I'm actually like looking at this thing going, holy crap, I can't believe we did this inside of 10 years you know, we got like three or four properties, there's cash, there's, you know, there's like a fair bit of liquidity, honestly. And we're looking to purchase another like condominium in Santa Fe. And what I'd rather do instead of cutting loose all of that cash is to go borrow against the existing properties, which we hold no mortgage on. We own the property lock, stock and barrel, right? So the properties of which there are three represents a fair amount of cash and I don't see any reason why we wouldn't be able to walk up to a bank and say hey look here's these three properties we want to buy a third you know an, a fourth one and here's what the revenue projections are going to be for that and here's what our revenue projections have been in the past on the other properties that we that we rent out um we've got a you know 95 percent occupancy rate over the last seven years that's pretty good track record. You're pretty much guaranteed that when we say what we're going to get for rent on this property, that we're going to get it and it's going to be a solid cash flow, All right? And then here's the properties that we want to borrow against and we want to take, you know, we want to buy 50%, you know, put 50% down and we'll take 50% on a loan on the backside. Yeah, that you think that that would be enough because we're just buying one property and we're going to put up three for collateral plus, you know, other other items. You know what they want? And we've talked to several mortgage brokers about this. They want to know our personal assets that are outside of the company. Why do you need, why? turns out from what I understand, from what my sister who's done a lot of the talks on the mortgage brokers, and she's, you know, she's been doing a lot of real estate for a long time. She's saying that it is now a requirement that we put up, that we either release what we own in as a personal, in, in our, our personal finances, which means, I guess means that without an affidavit from the mortgage broker and the bank and whoever else is involved in this purchase, without an affidavit that they will not go after, a signed affidavit that's like literally notarized, that they promise that they will never go after our personal assets, then we're not we can't do this i can't put up my personal assets against something that's already so over collateralized that it's not even funny three fully paid one fully paid house and two fully paid condominiums in in santa fe new mexico isn't fucking enough collateral are you out of your mind of course it's enough collateral why the personal asset statements if you know if you have a, a read on that could you please DM me and noster? i will I will call you on the phone to get your to to try to pick your brain on how this is working because I don't ever remember it being like this when you were on at the commercial scale that you were borrowing outside the commercial assets to be able to secure another commercial property. I don't get it. Please let me know. Meanwhile, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities, uh, West Texas Intermediate down a third of a point, still at $80 a barrel, still at 80 bucks a barrel. And yet again, in the trending now uh, line on the right-hand side of CNBC.com futures and commodities, there's not any words about Japan buying above $60 barrel oil. There's no, there's, there literally, there's just a blank sheet of paper when it comes to anything to do with Russia, China. Saudi Arabia and Iran and the fact that they're starting to settle their own shit in either Chinese yuan I mean hell even India wants to start doing um uh rupees wants to start settling their own trade in rupees not a word not a word the only the only thing that we get the only signal that's coming out of the mire that is the collapsed mouth of CNBC and the rest of mainstream media is West Texas Intermediate is down only a third of a point. Brent North Sea is down three quarters of a point, but is still clocking in at $84.34. Natural gas up a tenth of a point to $2.09 a thousand. And gasoline is down 1.75%, but it's still coming in at $2.70 a gallon. Now, shiny metal rocks are having a very good day. Gold is up almost two points to 2039 bucks. Silver is back to its $25 an ounce level in God knows how long. I can't remember when it was last $25. And that's after a four and a half point rise. Platinum is up three and a third. Copper is the only one down at one and three quarters of a point. And palladium is up a tenth of a point. Almost all ag is down. The only winner today is cocoa. It's up... followed by sugar, which is up a third. Biggest loser of the day, gonna be cotton, 2% to the downside. I got live cattle down a third of a point. Lean hogs are down over three points. FD cattle, nobody's told me what the hell that means yet, and I'm not going to look. If I wanted to ask Google, I'd ask Google, but I'm not. I'm asking you, what the hell is FD cattle? It's down 0.06 percentage points. I got Dow down three quarters of a point. S&P is down 0.65%. NASDAQ down almost a half, and S&P mini is down 1.82%. But yeah, nothing at all about the deals being made outside of NATO, outside of the West, outside of anything that we have a modicum of control over. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. And real money, $28,096.12. That's after 358,000 BTC have changed hands in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 0.9 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.08 BTC, which is about 250 bucks. Block times are low, slightly, uh, 9 minutes 44 seconds with a 4% drop in hash rate. We are at 325.6 exahashes per second. Ooh, I forgot fees. Uh, 0.22 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 33.8 taken in fees in the last 24 hours. And Doge, and you know why, you know what's coming. United States pennies. Yeah, we'll, we'll, don't worry. We're, we're, we're going to, we're going to get into that one. Let's do the numbers first though. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Doge is 9.7 United States pennies. We have a, (coughs) excuse me, $543 billion market cap. That is 4% of gold's market cap. You can still get 14.1 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin of which there are 19,336,874.46 of and 5,401.9 of those are locked in the Lightning Network valued at just over $150 million being run over 16,356 nodes sporting 74,000 568 payment channels and 67.3% of all of that's being run over Tor. And we have uh, a, a difficulty adjustment coming up April 6th and it's clocking in. It looks like it's going to be a low difficulty adjustment. 1.7% to the upside is what it's clocking in at. Now we got space here. It looks like there's I don't know, 95 blocks waiting to clear, carrying, uh, I don't know, 25,000 transactions. Uh, anything under two Satoshis per V-byte is now being purged from various mempools that have not been have not had their default memory raised above 300 megabytes. Uh, low priority transactions clocking in at 11 Satoshis per V-byte and 26 Satoshis per V-byte is the highest priority that'll get you into the next block, but it'll cost you about a buck to do so. And that's if you're using just a standard SegWit transaction. That's the weather report. All right. All right. Settle down, guys. Settle down. Settle down. Elon Musk changes Twitter icon to Doge after seeking lawsuit dismissal. Zhu Zhuan soon is going to tell us uh, about it from Cointelegraph on April the 3rd, two days after April Fool's, I might add, social media giant Twitter changed its icon to that of the symbol of the popular meme token Doge. That's right. If you didn't see it, if you heard about it, but didn't actually go check for yourself, it happened. It's in fact, as far as I know, it's actually still going on as of this morning. Dogecoin is up sharply in light of the news with its price surging more than 22% in an hour to 9 cents or 9.784 cents. The icon change took place platform wide and is directly visible by the social media giants estimated 360 million monthly active users and visitors to the platform alike. Shortly after the icon change, the Twitter and Tesla CEO tweeted the following meme, which appears to imply that the change will be around for some time. (laughs) Jesus Christ. The meme that he, uh, I'll describe it. Elon Musk tweets this picture out. It's an old one, but it's like this butterfly that's driving a car. It's an old Far Side cartoon. Hand Hand its license to the cop. The cop's looking at it and it shows a Twitter emblem. place of the picture. And there's a doge head on, on the butterfly that's driving the car that's being pulled over. And it says, that's an old photo. I don't actually necessarily think that that means that Elon's going to do this for a lot, like a long time, but you never know. Elon's batshit crazy. So he can do whatever he wants. Uh, two days earlier, Elon Musk had asked, this is important guys. Two days earlier, Elon Musk asked a United States judge to dismiss a $258 billion, that's billion with a B. He paid $44 billion for Twitter. He's being sued for $258 billion filed by investors alleging the operation of a pyramid scheme to promote Dogecoin. He's being sued for $258 billion because he's promoting Dogecoin. And what does he do? After he asks two days ago to have it dismissed, He makes 360 million people worldwide across borders. Look at the emblem for Dogecoin. I don't think that's going to help you out, Elon. Not sure what he's doing. Let's continue. It appears that the reason behind the change can be attributed in part to a conversation with an administrator of the popular Wall Street Bets subreddit on Twitter. Quote, change the bird logo logo to a Doge, said WSB chairman. Ha ha ha, that would be sick, Elon wrote. Yeah, whatever. On January the 18th, Cointelegraph reported that Dogecoin's carbon emissions fell by 25% following a collaboration between network developers and Musk working with the Doge devs to improve system transaction efficiency, potentially promising, he tweeted. Multiple market studies in the past have suggested that Musk tweeting about Doge tends to drive its price higher. Throughout 2021, Musk promoted the cryptocurrency with slogans such as, Dogecoin is the people's crypto and proclaimed himself to be the Doge father. Last year, Tesla launched a new series of whistles inspired by the Cybertruck series. Each whistle was priced at 1,000 Doge or about 60 bucks at the time of announcement. Fellow American billionaire Mark Cuban has also praised Dogecoin, claiming that it could be used to solve Twitter's spam problem. And that, maybe that's what he's about to do. Maybe that's why, he's, maybe he's going all in on Doge. It's the dumbest thing I've ever, I've ever seen anybody do is this is probably, and it's not because I don't like Doge. I don't like what it's become because of Elon Musk and only because of Elon Musk. He turned the only shit coin that I could look at and not cringe at because it was so cute. It's the Inu Shibu or Shiba Inu dog and it's been around for years. And you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's old. It's really, really old. And the fact that it was a reaction by people who hated the idea of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, they create Dogecoin. It was perfect. It's exactly what Bitcoiners love about everything. Like, remember the green skull that came out a couple of weeks ago? how it was supposed to deride and make fun of Bitcoin, and yet we completely embraced it. We kind of embraced Dogecoin back in the day because it was completely harmless. And Elon Musk has taken that and weaponized it. He's weaponized it. I know we're using weaponization way too carelessly now, but I just don't see a better, I don't see a better word to use for it. In either event, if you thought that the rumors you heard were false, or it was some kind of extended April Fool's joke. No, it actually happened. And as far as I know, it's still going on. In fact, let's just get on over there to Dead Bird Site, otherwise known as Shitter, and we'll check it out. And lo and behold, Doge is still still the icon for Twitter. Still the icon for Twitter. I've never seen anybody pour this much gasoline on something they bought and lit it on fire with that many zippos. It's a zippo raid. Brothers and sisters, it's a complete zippo raid. Now, moving on. Bitcoin's correlation to gold tightened in March amid tradfi woes. Andre Bogansky tells us about shiny metal rocks and real money. Decrypt.co. Bitcoin behaved more like one of the world's most historic currencies in March, as the largest cryptocurrency by market cap exhibited a strong correlation to gold. The value of the two assets moved in similar directions throughout the month, edging higher as a banking crisis reared its head in the United States and toppled several institutions like Silicon Valley Bank, which eventually spilled over to shutter European giants like Credit Suisse. The correlation between Bitcoin and gold currently stands around 50%, according to blockchain analytics firm Keiko. It represents the strongest connection between two assets in more than a year, Keiko analyst Desilava Albert told Decrypt. Quote, it's a significant shift because over the course of 2022, Bitcoin and gold were mostly uncorrelated, she said. So it was not moving as a safe haven asset at all, end quote. Over the past month, Bitcoin has rallied 25% to around 28,000, notching its third positive month in a row despite regulatory headwinds. Meanwhile, gold has risen over 8% during the past month, nearing an all time high of $1,988 per troy ounce on Monday. Yeah, well, uh, as you saw earlier today, that is actually now well over $2,000. Cryptocurrencies aren't typically viewed as safe haven assets. They. Gen- they're generally seen as risky investments like stocks. And these risk assets have been hammered over the past year as the Federal Reserve has aggressively raised interest rates to quell inflation. But Albert said it's possible for Bitcoin's status as a risk asset to shift somewhat as investors' perceptions of its strengths as a store of value change. Quote, for now, people are trying to put Bitcoin in a very traditional framework. It's very hard because it can be lots of things, Albert said. Meanwhile, the correlation between Bitcoin and the S&P 500 fell significantly in March to 20%, adding on to a trend that's been building for months, said Albert. Quote, Bitcoin's correlation with equities has been going down since December steadily, and it's now very low, she said, adding that 20% is essentially negligible. However, Albert said that Bitcoin will remain influenced by factors that also impact stocks, such as the Fed's monetary policy. She also noted that Bitcoin is sensitive to changes in liquidity overall. (coughs) As Bitcoin begins to behave more like a safe haven asset and less like a risky one, there are some fundamental similarities between Bitcoin and gold that are notable, CoinShare's head of research, James Butterfield, told Decrypt. One element that the two assets have in common is that a finite supply supports their value, he said. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, Similar to how there's a limited amount of accessible gold in the world, Bitcoin supply is capped at 21 million with the last Bitcoin expected to be mined sometime in 2140, according to projections. Quote, Bitcoin, in fact, is technically a harder asset than gold because it's a finite supply, but also a very well-known finite supply. Theoretically, you could go out into the universe and find a ton of gold, bring it back to Earth, and flood the market, Butterfield said. In terms of the cultural overlap between Bitcoin and gold, perhaps there is evidence to suggest they are converging on that front as well. The California-based rapper Snoop Dogg stepped into the ring at WrestleMania 39 yesterday and was seen sporting a golden hardware wallet like an expensive chain, <laughs> for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Snoop Dogg. Whatever. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, this is happening. Peter Schiff is still railing against Bitcoin. He hasn't said much about Bitcoin for a while, but apparently he did sometime today, over on Dead Bird app, known as Shitter, and said something. You know what? I don't even care. It doesn't really even matter. But at one point or another, you know, it would be nice if Schiff could say we could, you know. I don't know. I was about to say coexist, but that's probably going to get egg on my face. I just think the guy needs to to lighten up a little bit. It's not like gold sucks. The only thing that you can't do with gold is send it or transport it to China over a phone line. And by that, because of that one aspect, it really pales in comparison to Bitcoin. However, Gold and humanity have been linked for thousands of years, maybe as way back as 10,000. They used to use gold in Babylon. That thing's like 8,000 years old. There's no reason to think that they haven't been doing this shit for like maybe 15,000 years. Who knows? I don't think we really know. All we really know from anthropology is the last thing that we found out. And there's probably something before that too. You know, we keep pushing back the date of anthropological remains of the first human beings that are actual Homo sapiens sapiens, because we keep finding new shit, right? So therefore, instead of, oh, Homo sapiens sapiens has only been around for 8,000 years, it's now 16, and then 32, and now 64, and probably 150, and it just keeps getting pushed back and back and back in time, because we keep finding new artifacts. So... Whatever it is, the first usage case are, you know, from an anthropological standpoint, the first gold usage case for humanity is probably not the first use case of gold for humanity. It's probably before that. That said, because we have such a long and storied history with the shiny metal rocks, we like holding gold. It feels good in our hands. That's one of the reasons why we make jewelry out of it so we can feel its weight. It has a particular density, and so does silver. And honestly, it's really weird that you can pick up a gold coin. There are some people that can pick up a gold coin and tell you, unless it's filled with tungsten, given its size and thickness, whether it's gold or not, and usually be right. They're not many. They're like wine connoisseurs, but all that is is, being able to hold it in your hand and feel its weight against the pull of gravity and all your neurons firing. And you've done it so many times that you can you sense that pattern of neurons firing in your head and it correlates with your memories of the same thing. And you say, yes, this is so similar. I'm going to call this actual gold, not filled with something else because it feels right. When you drop it on a counter, it sounds. It has a sound, so that's where, where they get the whole sound money thing. But still, there's a relationship there that is more of a an artful, beautiful relationship. I don't hate gold. I don't hate silver. I own gold. It's on my fingers, and around my neck if'm wearing if I'm wearing a if I'm wearing a, uh, a necklace. So I don't hate it, and I find it valuable. And I don't think it would be terrible to use in very, very thin ass rural communities where there's just not a whole lot of internet connection and you can use like something like lightning network very, you know, very fast. So I've kind of thought about this a long time ago, gold for, you know, gold for local transactions and Bitcoin for transactions the, for people that you don't know and they don't live anywhere close to where you live. I think about it. I'm, I'm not sold on the idea, but I don't poo-poo it either. So I'm just saying that maybe we shouldn't be you know, so hard on the guys. That, I mean, I'm always going to call it shiny metal rocks because that's, that's very descriptive of what it is. It's shiny metal rocks. It doesn't mean that I hate it, but it doesn't mean that I think it's more valuable than Bitcoin. I kind of think there's a place for both, but I'm not exactly sure how. Most of my, all my shit's in Bitcoin anyway, except the gold that I, the gold in my platinum wedding ring, which actually has even more density than gold. And you can feel the difference. It's, it's, it's kind of amazing that way. Anyway, I I digress. (coughs) Bitcoin in Senegal. Why is this African country using BTC? Now going to one of my favorite continents, which I've never actually set foot upon, but still because. It's one of the most important places on the face of the planet for Bitcoin adoption. I love Africa. So let's find out what the hell's going on in Senegal. Joseph Hall, Cointelegraph.com. Dakar, the capital of the West African nation of Senegal now boasts an annual Pan-African Bitcoin conference over 10 merchants accepting Bitcoin, a local peer-to-peer BTC exchange and a budding Bitcoin community. What's more, The speed at which Bitcoin's progress is unwinding is staggering. The city hosted the Dakar BTC Days conference just 10 months after the country's first in real life Bitcoin meetup. All of this, despite a brutal bear market that has put a big dent in Bitcoin adoption. Why is Bitcoin bubbling in Senegal? Is this country on the path to hyper-Bitcoinization or at least more entrenched Bitcoin adoption and use? Could Senegal be the next country to follow in El Salvador's footsteps? I wanted to find out. So I did. The West African Economic and Monetary Union CFA franc is an awful currency. The French created it. They control its conversion rate. They even design and print the notes for use in Africa. A Frenchman sitting in the historic university town of Clermont Ferrand conjures up the designs in use on CFA notes used by millions of Africans across 13 countries, despite the fact that they may never have set foot in Africa. The CFA is currently pegged to the euro at a fixed rate of 655.95 to 1. In 1994, the peg with the former French franc was slashed from 1 to 505 to 1 to 100. The currency devaluation instigated by France and in collaboration with the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund wiped out the savings of the Senegalese people. To cap it all off, French officials sit on regional central bank boards across French-speaking Africa and still hold substantial powers, including veto rights. And here's a map. African countries using the CFA. Holy shit. There's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 countries in Africa use CFA franc currencies. That's just sad. Alex Gladstein of the Human Rights Foundation once explained, quote, unlike a typical fiat currency, the system was far more insidious. It was monetary colonialism, end quote. From Cuba to Turkey, South Africa to Serbia, I have never seen a greater demand or need for monetary emancipation than in Central or West Africa. And the most likely candidate for West Africa's economic and monetary freedom is Bitcoin. On Twitter, in January 2022, I noticed that a few bars in the expat area of Dakar have begun accepting Bitcoin. You can pay for a crepe or a bisap over the lightning network at a spitting distance from the beach. My thoughts immediately go to El Salvador's grassroots adoptions initiative, Bitcoin Beach, the effort uh, of which culminated in Bitcoin becoming legal tender in El Salvador. I know at once that I must speak to the person behind these efforts. A tall, softly spoken Senegalese man who spent a chunk of his professional life working in France, Nauru, which is not his real name, is a Bitcoin advocate like no other. He returned to Senegal in 2001 and was disappointed to see that his friends and even family members had lost money to Ponzi schemes like Petron Pay, <laughs> things like that, or Limo, and other popular crypto scams in Africa. So, we set up the Bitcoin in Senegal community, he tells Telegraph, "Quote: I was one of the first ones in our first e-meet on Clubhouse. We were maybe three or four, but I kept it going two sessions a week, then one session a week because we used to have 10 to 20, sometimes hundreds of people listening in. He arrived in Senegal at the onset of COVID-19. However, the pandemic chaos did not dash his dreams of making Bitcoin the go-to currency in his homeland. While traveling in Senegal in February of 2022, I attended the country's first ever Bitcoin meetup. Not only was this a milestone event in and of itself, but the caliber of the guest in attendance was jaw-dropping. The room is brimming with non-fungible token promoters, Bitcoin maximalists, entrepreneurs, central bankers, and even professors from Dakar's most prestigious universities. The atmosphere is a stark contrast with the Bitcoin meetups I usually attend in Europe or America, where, to be frank, it's a bunch of white millennial males preaching the fall of fiat currencies. (laughs) I knew that was... It's just like the, the, whole, the whole woke shit is just getting a little too out of hand, guys. Back off on this, this white millennial bullshit. I also see Nauru uh, onboard three more restaurants into his Bitcoin network. Interestingly, a lot of these merchants use Bitcoin in its purest form, a peer-to-peer cash system. They accept Bitcoin-based or Lightning transactions and they hold on to it. With the intent of using Bitcoin as money in a circular economy, much like we should be doing, by the way, Nauru is building an app that allows merchants to cash out into local currency and offers a personalized service where they can get their hands on cash if need be. I left Senegal in March of 2022 with a spring in my step. I felt inspired by the fact that in the places that need it most, there are enthusiastic Bitcoin people devoting their time and efforts to educating others about money and ultimately Bitcoin. Now, Fast forward all the way to August of 2022 and I couldn't quite believe that Noru is texting me saying he had plans to host a Bitcoin forum in Senegal. It will be the first time that Bitcoiners from all over the world would assemble on the African continent to share their passion for Bitcoin and strategize how best to adopt the currency. I vowed to myself that I absolutely must attend. Not only is this a country that I'm increasingly attached to, but I fully want to observe, participate, and report on the Bitcoin movements in Senegal and greater West Africa. Dakar Bitcoin Days gathered enthusiasts and economists from Africa in a pan-African celebration of magic internet money. From Cameroon to the Congo, Mali to the Ivory Coast, and the Central African Republic, there were interested parties from all over the continent. And Nauru says... In an interview, while pointing at the continent of Africa, quote, Africa will fly if we all go together, end quote. France is the official language in Senegal, while Wolof is by far the most widely spoken. One of the unique and well-thought-out aspects of this conference is that there are Dakar Bitcoin Day's talks in three languages, English, French, and Wolof, with events in the latter attracting the highest attendance. Good, excellent. I love that. The conference features beginner-friendly seminars that touch on the economy, finance, security, and Bitcoin fundamentals. For experts, panels on cryptography take place, while debates such as Is Bitcoin Halal provide cultural insights into using Bitcoin in Senegal, which is a 97% Muslim country. Plus, the demographics screw incredibly young. The average age in the country is roughly 19, and the conference is brimming with students and young people. During the conference and in conversations, Nauru shares his vision for Senegal with me. Senegal will lead West Africa out of darkness of currency colonization, he explains. However, there needs to be a level of decentralization in the messaging regarding Africa. Quote, "I I want the message to switch. Africa is not a country. It's a continent. That's why we call it Dakar Bitcoin Days. If you come to Senegal, you will meet Senegalese. If you go to Mali, you meet Mali people." There might be some similarities, such as some shared histories and overlapping cultures in Africa, but he explains that Africa is just as varied or more so than Europe. Much like Bitcoin, the movement is decentralized. Each region and area of Africa will eventually run with and adopt Bitcoin. That's not to take away from the tremendous sense of pan-Africanism that Africa benefits from. It's something that the Europeans or Americans as a continent may not relate to. I am British and European, but I do not relate with a Serbian the way that a Senegalese may relate with a Zimbabwean despite being thousands of miles apart. During the conference, I also set out to interview merchants who accept Bitcoin. I speak of the to the owner of a French expat bar that has recently begun accepting Bitcoin. Despite being completely new to decentralized currency, the proprietor, Gary, is happy to see new customers coming to his bar thanks to Bitcoin. While we were there, we managed to convince him to accept Bitcoin at his brand new tattoo parlor. Senegalese surf team coach, René Larisse, managed... Pai Hana, the first restaurant to accept Bitcoin, as one of Senegal's best sporting exports after football, He's, he's a leader and a trusted voice in the community. I also interview Mama Bitcoin, who has been trading Bitcoin for fish on the Atlantic coast for the past three years. It's a visionary move in a country where cash reigns king and banking services are generally for the financially privileged. Banks in West Africa charge high fees and incur strict user requirements. Withdrawing cash, for example, can cost a few dollars. Throughout my second trip to Senegal, I give out Bitcoin to more than 70 people. The process is simple. I ask them to download a Bitcoin wallet and a Lightning, or I want oh, do it again. I asked them to download a Lightning wallet, usually wallet is Satoshi, and they tap receive. The wallet is custodial, meaning they don't actually hold the keys to their own Bitcoin. As a result, they are trusting that Wallet of Satoshi will not perform a Sam Bankman fried and run off with the funds, but for newbies, it's a good place to start. I send them a few thousand Satoshis, which is maybe a buck or two in Bitcoin. I find it easy to hand out sats in Senegal in comparison with other countries to which I travel. People are eager to get a hold of money, and they are eager to learn, trade, or simply save with a currency that cannot be debased or stolen in the way that a CFA can I give away sats on the beaches, on the sidewalk, during the conferences, in restaurants and bars to taxi drivers, and in tips to the hotel staff. For the most part, I give Bitcoin to young people, boys and girls aged anything from 16 upwards and young men. Whereas the average age in the United States is about 40, Senegal is a very young population. It's no surprise that a mobile native, internet-based currency would fly If it was given the right to take off in Africa, and it makes me wonder, why are people so keen to get a hold of Bitcoin here? Well, it's because in the West, we buy Bitcoin through exchanges. A select few individuals buy peer-to-peer, and a tiny slither of Bitcoin enthusiasts actually earn Bitcoin. In West Africa, it's very hard to get your hands on the coin. Worse still, it's very hard to secure Bitcoin. None of the established hardware wallets like Ledger, Trezor, or Cold Card ship to Senegal. Ledger sponsored the conference and may start shipping to West Africa, but it's currently a serious pain point. In light of these barriers and opportunities, it gives greater credence to the idea that a Bitcoin circular economy could take off in Senegal. People want Bitcoin. There are no exchanges to buy from and international tourists coming to Senegal can spend Bitcoin. Bitcoin could, therefore, tread a path to becoming peer-to-peer money as its white paper intended in the country. Plus, mobile monetary networks have taken root and flourished all across Africa. First, rising to fame in Kenya, where the globally recognized mobile money company M-Pesa was founded, mobile money companies have popped up across Africa like Apple stores in European cities. Most Africans nowadays have a smartphone, but they can't get online. Failing that, it is highly likely that individuals possess an SMS mobile phone, an old-style phone that can send and receive texts. Thanks to mobile money, users can send and receive payments much like a bank transfer. You can simply text your friend's phone with credit. In Second Senegal, the biggest mobile payments company is called Wave. The Wave logo is found in taxi companies, restaurants, bars, and cafes. It's a bit like the Lightning Network, but it's slower, a lot more expensive, and of course it uses the local currency. I try to track down an employee at Wave to orange pill them, and as luck would have it, I bump into one at a bar while watching the World Cup. I immediately ask him to download a wallet and sent him some Bitcoin. The internet connectivity was very patchy where we sat, so it wasn't the best, And it took a few seconds. Cue network error. (coughs) I connect to the bar's Wi-Fi and send him the Bitcoin. He was impressed and said he'd come along to the conference the following day, but I didn't see him again. There was a funny moment during the interview with the marketing director from Wave. He shared that he met and hung out with Satoshi in Senegal. Apparently, he was a VC kind of guy who went around drunk as a skunk, partying and investing in companies. However, it gets me thinking you have a country that is accustomed to transacting via mobile phone using nothing but a mobile number. That's despite the fact that the UX for mobile money is quite clunky. Yet everyone in their goat, yes, I try to interview a goat about Bitcoin, see our documentary, knows how to use it. Senegal has a power sapping currency, a young digitally native population Bitcoin leaders and mentors in respected positions in society, an annual conference, an increasing number of merchants accepting Bitcoin, and as evinced, it is culturally acceptable to send money via mobile phones. It's another instrument in Africa's Bitcoin tool belt and a way in which the continent could effectively leapfrog the developed world. Why can't we leapfrog mobile money with a lightning network? Okay, that's the end of the article, which I know is lengthy but it's worth it because it really is Africa where, where and Latin America, I, I talk about the Balkans and the Baltics and the Balkans. They're not really all that big. They're just these two footholds on Europe essentially. And depending on which direction you go, if you go, if you go to the West, you know, you kind of, you know, more, you know, Europe and Western Europe kind of thing. But if you go to the East, you're more kind of like looking at the direction of Asia. And it's kinda of like, you know, Christianity's rise. You got Jesus that basically died you know, died in Israel, right? All right. so, but Christianity didn't start in Israel after his death. No, it went north. It actually went north. In fact, Syria the first, was the first Christian country. As far as, as what I've studied, Syria was the first Christian country, not Israel. Isn't that amazing? And then it went up straight up from there into, I, I think it was the Ural Mountain. Was it the Urals? I can't remember. It gets into, to you know, what would then become Russia. And then it goes west towards Rome. And we all know what happens to Rome. We, we end up with, uh, what, Constantinople. We end up with a Christian empire after you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. But it also went east into Asia. I would look at Bitcoin and Latin America and Africa in the same way. But specifically, I'd be looking at the Baltics and the Balkans as these very small areas that are geopolitically important areas for Bitcoin to take a hold of because they can spread north, west, east, and south. I mean, if we get Latin America, it's bordered on all three sides by what? Water. And honestly, Africa's the kind of the same way. I mean, now too, it's north and northeast. Yes, it's got way massive connectivity to the rest of the world. And that's important. Not so much with Latin America. So in, in my estimation, Africa's actually more important as a beachhead for Bitcoin than Latin America is, although Latin America is very important. What am I not actually talking about at all here? The West. Why? We lost. We screwed it up, ladies and gentlemen. We had the whole pie and we couldn't be humble and we couldn't be good. We could not keep our nose out of everybody's business. We've shown our ass multiple times over 150 years. We've lied about contracts. We've devalued other people's money because they started depending on our money, and then we started printing checks to our own people, but not to the people that needed it, and they suffer inflation. The French, you see, you've heard about, you know, if you've read Alex Gladstein's piece or listened to Guy Swan read Alex Gladstein's piece about the French CFA, if you haven't done that, you need to because you need to understand what the hell's going on there. You know how we have dollarized countries in Latin America, and when we screw the pooch up here, they get the hose. Same thing with France. And since America and France are connected to each other because all the wor- we have the World Economic Forum and the IMF and the UN and the European Central Bank and the Federal Reserve, and they all eat dinner together. So if you don't think that they don't each affect each other and basically sing rah rah and kumbaya at the fucking campfire, then you are fooling yourself. What France does is because the United States does. What the European Central Bank does is because of what France is thinking, because of what the Federal Reserve is thinking. And the IMF and the World Economic Forum are just tools for the West to do and perpetrate the most heinous shit. And I'm tired of it because they've been doing all this in our name without my permission, without your permission, without anybody else's permission. And now. I get to look forward to the rest of my life being quote unquote an american that is looked down upon because one we lied to everybody in the world about almost everything that we could lie about including to our own people and we destroyed nation after nation after nation after nation A million dead iraqis for what because of 9/11 were you know what 12 of the 14 people were from you know, Saudi Arabia, we've been foment, and we've been like, just just the Middle East by itself, we've been fomenting enemies in the, in the Middle East, not enemies of ourselves, although that's become evident now, but at the uh, at onset, we were, the whole point with the petrodollar was to keep Saudi Arabia at odds with every other Middle Eastern country that you could, so that we would have a reason to supply them with military goods and military protection in return for the treasury bonds that they would buy. That was the deal. We'd protect them and they'd buy our bonds. Protect them from what? From the evil that we fomented in the region. You might want to go look into the history of Lawrence of Arabia. It wasn't just a good movie with Peter O'Toole. There was actually a guy, Lawrence of Arabia, And essentially, he was sitting down there for various reasons, and they were pretty nefarious. You know, it's time that we, if you're in the West and you're listening to this, it's time that you put on your big boy britches and realize that you got just as lied to as every other citizen in every other country in the world by who? The West. That doesn't mean that your ideals are bad. You carry most likely the best ideals ever, but you do no, we do not live in a place that allows us to express that. When we do, we're considered terrorists or worse, insurrectionists, right? I won't even get into that one. I'm not even going to talk, talk about Trump indictment because it's all bullshit. <coughs> they're, they're, it's just like this. It's a giant game. And none of these people live in the real world anymore. And why we listen to what they tell us to do is quite frankly, beyond my comprehension for thought, except for this, the threat of violence. If we don't do what they say, they'll kill us or they'll steal everything that we own and throw us in prison, which is enough. (laughs) Isn't it? That's enough. But it, It doesn't make up for the fact that what they're doing is they're basically enslaving us and they've been enslaving us for decades because of the threat of violence. You don't need a cell. You don't need a cell for containment. You don't need a cell to deliver a lifelong sentence of servitude. What you need is an invisible chain. And that invisible chain in this particular case is the United States dollar. And it chains, not only the citizenry of its own country, but shackles the citizenry of everything that it touches. Now I'm going to end the morning roundup with this. If you have not read Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, also known as Prometheus, right? You need to, because that story And it's not really ever talked about. I'm actually the only person that's ever talked about it before. Um, I did it in a paper for uh, writing about gothic literature. What is a gothic? What makes something gothic? And I took three books, The The Castle of Otranto, Dracula, and Frankenstein. And I did a comparison of those three books. And what I found was that in Dracula and Castle of Otranto, you had very physical, very massive, very large real structures that barred the way for the protagonist to be able to escape. In Frankenstein, there were no barriers for Doctor Frankenstein's escape. He was in it was pastoral. It was like he he had money too. He could get into a cha, you know a uh, a uh, 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 not a chariot, what the hell am I trying, carriage, a horse-drawn carriage and be drawn across Europe. And he did. He's trying to get away from this thing that he's created. There's no physical barriers to this guy. And yet he is just as much of a prisoner as the people in The Oh, I can't remember the the guy's name. Uh, Jonathan Harker? I think was the name of the protagonist in Dracula. He was captured, or not captured, but he was held basically in prison at Dracula's castle, the castle being the jail cell. In, ca- in Horace Walpole's castle of Otranto, you have yet another castle that is encapsulating. Our maiden in distress, who is being, I think she's being forced to marry somebody against her will and she's trying to run away. She never can get out because this castle basically keeps her hemmed in. That's the hallmark of a Gothic is that you have these external features that basically hem you in, but you don't need that. And Mary Shelley taught us that you don't need a physical structure to encapsulate somebody. In our case in the West, we are living the nightmare of Dr. Frankenstein. We've created this monster and we are free, forever chained to it. And that is the modern legacy financial system complete with money printing and financial instrumentation that 99.99% of regular people do not understand because it was designed that way. And with those tools, ladies and gentlemen, We are prisoners for life. If you haven't read Frankenstein, go do it. And see if you can find out exactly what I'm talking about. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. I found stir fry all over my bed this morning. I must have been sleepwalking again. Yes, sir. That's a good joke. Sleepwalking. I like it. We had low main last night, in fact. So, um, let not your heart be troubled, I guess. You know, we're going to have to, we're, we're going to get through this one way or another, whether it's easy, hard. It doesn't, honestly, it doesn't really matter because unless you're planning on killing yourself, you're going to make it to the other side. And that's the, that's the thing that's important is you, we've got to make it to the other side of all this. Is troubled waters are here, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but yeah, troubled waters are here. I look to Africa hard. I look to Latin America hard. But I also look, as far as the domestic, you know, continental United States is concerned, I look to the 10th Amendment. Because as these buffoons in Washington, D.C. become it be, be, as they become more transparent as to the machinations that they have in their head, not being the, in the best interest of pretty much anybody that can fog a mirror or has a beating heart, the 10th Amendment will set states apart. And like Texas to say, you know what? No, we're just we're not going to this is just not going to happen, Marshall we're not going to allow you to arrest any of our citizenry today because they interacted with a VPN, uh, to go to TikTok. We're just, you know what? We're just not, and TikTok's not clearly not a good thing, but like, let's say it's, let's say Paxful didn't fold. And the SEC and the Southern district of New York got together and said, let's make it illegal for all Americans to be able to interact with Paxful which they actually did. Uh, As far as I know, United States citizenry cannot, was not able to interact with Paxful, but let's say that they were, and they did, and they did it through a VPN, and the United States already had the restrict act in place, and they found out that I did so, and said they were going to find me a quarter million dollars and throw me in the slam for 20 fucking years, and my local, like let's say I'm living in Texas though, and my local county sheriff says, you know what Dave, we're not going to let you be arrested. And instead, when the FBI comes to arrest me from the field office out in Texas, they in turn themselves are arrested, thrown in jail, physical fucking jail, booked for assault. And then the federal government informed at the head office of the FBI that they are going to need to come down from Washington, DC to pick up their agents and take them back to Washington, DC, even if those agents have homes and families in Texas. And then there will be a discussion as to whether and under what circumstances they are allowed to return to the state of Texas. That's what I'm talking about. It's going to be that kind of shit where your county sheriff safeguards you as a citizen of Texas and not as, as a citizen of the United States of America before we can reconstitute all this shit and get some semblance back of what it meant to be an American because it's not whatever's in Elizabeth Warren's head, is it? No, it's not. I could say more, but I won't. So I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.